Hello and welcome. You're tuned into Embodied Astrology, and my name is Renee. I'm a consulting astrologer, a somatic intuitive and movement educator, and a visual artist. I understand astrology through my lens of embodiment and as a spatial and environmental awareness practice. I think astrology is an amazing tool for working with timing and process and contextualizing our experiences. In today's episode, I'll be talking about the sign Gemini and Gemini season, which is the 30-day span of time between May 20th and June 21st. In the first part of today's podcast, I'm offering a guided breathing and awareness practice that I find to be incredibly helpful when working with Gemini's energy. In part two of the podcast, I talk about the Gemini-Sagittarius axis and the upcoming eclipses in these signs, and then I muse for a while on some of the rich symbolism offered in the chart for Gemini season. If you want to know more about what this season has in store for you, listen to the Gemini season audio horoscopes. They're free and available for all 12 signs at embodiedastrology.com in the horoscope section. For day-to-day astrological guidance, check out my extended forecasts and month-ahead calendar where I give you daily creative, meditative, and embodied prompts for working with planetary aspects and lunar cycles. Subscriptions to the month-ahead offerings are available by donation at any amount. If this work is helpful for you, the best way to support it is to share it with your friends and through your networks and to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes podcasts. Your one-time and recurring financial donations are also so appreciated and essential in sustaining the production of this work. So with this journey of awareness, this guided meditation and somatic practice, Let's bring attention and energy and appreciation into the parts of the body that Gemini is associated with, or some of these parts. Please take a couple of intentional breaths. Whenever I bring my attention to my breath, I notice that my breath changes naturally. So if you, like me, notice that your breath is changing as you become aware of it, just get curious and notice the sensation of your breath, the touch of your breath as it enters your body, as it moves through your lungs. Feel the expansion of the inhalation breath. And remember that your lungs are pretty large organs compared to a lot of your other organs. They're very long. They start up underneath your collarbones. They go all the way down to the height of your belly button. They're longer in the back than they are in the front. They press into the front and the back of the body. And they are as wide as the skeleton of your entire torso. So if you can feel your ribs, The movement of your lungs travels inside of your ribs. Try and take a full breath in. And maybe even take a little sip of air right at the top of your inhalation and see how full you can make your lungs. And then when you exhale, just let out some sighs. And for the next couple of breaths, notice the feeling of the inhalation. When you really 
fill your inhale. Come all the way to the top of the inhale and maybe take an extra sip of breath right at the top and notice how that movement of the inhaling breath um, almost feels like it moves up into the head, up into the throat. You might even feel like your breath is moving into your brain. Okay, and now let's imagine the brain and if you want to touch your head um, sometimes it's helpful to feel the shape of your skull and to visualize the image of a brain you've probably seen a picture of a brain similar to your lungs the brain is longer in the back um, shorter in the front and it um, moves from the back of the skull to the front of the skull in the upper portion and the volume of your brain fills um, the entire dome of your skull. So if you can feel your skull, then you might imagine your brain floating in your brain, in your skull. <laughs> and let's see in our mind's eye here how the brain has two hemispheres, a right and a left hemisphere. And now as you breathe, as you feel the movement of your breath travel into your lungs, and you might even be following the movement of your breath through your two nostrils, let's imagine that breath can come into the two sides of the brain. And let's start to envision um, an expansive kind of traveling in the breath, a movement or a, um, a swelling almost, so that the inhale makes the left and the right sides of the brain and the lungs bigger. And you might call into your imagination now an idea of what energy looks like. And I think a lot of people often imagine energy as light, as some kind of um, hue or gradient even of light. So if that image works for you, please feel free to use it. And as you inhale, imagine um, what your energy looks like as it gets bigger through your breath, moving out into the two sides of your body and expanding into the space around you. And let's take a couple of uh, more breaths like this. And as you breathe, try and breathe into the three-dimensional shapes. The full volume of your lungs. The idea of your brain, the volume of your brain in your skull. And this imagination of energy as it travels out. And now let's start to add a little bit of imagery to the exhale. So as you exhale, imagine that your right and your left sides are gathering in to the place where they meet, right at the center of your body where left and right come together. And now you can start to elongate your exhalation a little bit and exhale your breath all the way out. And see what it feels like to envision that the exhale breaths create a strong vertical axis. So as you inhale, 
your energy and awareness, especially in your upper body and your lungs and your head, radiate out into the left and the right sides, getting bigger and more expansive. And then as you exhale, your energy and your attention come right into the midline where left and right come together. And maybe at that very end of your exhale, you might even see that midline getting really long, much longer and taller than your body. Shooting down, maybe into the earth and up into the sky. Okay, and then the last little bit that we'll add here, if you'd like, is a movement with your arms. So if this is comfortable for you, then as you inhale, you might want to let the movement of your breath and your lungs take your arms out to the sides. And as you exhale, you can let the movement of your breath and your awareness bring your hands together right at the, at the center. Feel your left and your right hands pressing together at your midline. And when you inhale and you let your breath get wide, you can imagine your energy expanding, your left and your right lungs filling, the left and the right sides of the brain getting bigger and more expansive, and your arms traveling out like a, like a hug, like a welcome. And then as you exhale, clarifying your center, coming right into a very strong midline and your hands can come together in what some people call prayer position. And take a few more breaths like that and your arms can move out in any way that's comfortable. And so it might feel good even just to open your hands a little bit or you can totally extend your arms out like a bird. You can make different shapes. Everything is fine. Let your breath guide your movement. And then when you exhale, really imagining that center, the meeting place between the left and the right. One or two more breaths like this. And when you inhale, try and really breathe into this idea of a three-dimensional breath moving um, all the way ar around you, kind of radiance, but also moving into the left and the right awareness. And then as you exhale, Coming back to the center and feeling your, your center, your awareness of where left and right meet inside your body. And the next time you come into that center, then stay. And if your eyes are closed, then open your eyes. And then let one eye close and the other eye open. And attune whatever side eye is open. Try and hear out that ear. And be aware of that side. And then switch sides. So the other eye opens, the other ear perks up. Feel that side of your awareness. And then both eyes closed. And then both eyes open. And then if your hands are still together, you might want to just offer a little bow into this gesture of center and appreciate how the center is clarified by the two sides and maybe muse for a moment on the um, 
interweaving the information that passes between what feels like a duality, the left and the right, but that creates or informs this center. So notice what you notice and notice how this kind of awareness practice resonates in your body. I feel for myself that after this awareness practice, I have a lot more consciousness in the three-dimensionality of my body and my brain feels remarkably more relaxed than it did when I began. And I definitely wanted to offer this awareness practice as we move into Gemini season because Gemini, along with its opposite sign, Sagittarius, are two energies that um, can really bring us into the mental realm and into a space that sometimes includes so many options and so many directions that it can be easy to lose center. But both of these energies also teach us about center. So I'd like to begin um, the interpretation of Gemini season by really exploring this, this balance, this polarity or opposition between the signs Gemini and Sagittarius. And part of why I want to do this is because in Gemini season on June 6th, we'll have the first eclipse in the Gemini Sagittarius range um, of a new set of eclipses. This will take us um, through the rest of 2020 and into the end of 2021. So I'll talk about eclipses in a little bit, but for the moment, let's think about these two signs. Gemini and Sagittarius are both part of what's called the mutable cross. In the Northern Hemisphere, where Western astrology or tropical astrology um, has been cultivated and articulated, there are four seasons. And the times at the ends of the seasons, um, the transition points, are considered to be the times of the mutable signs. So where I am here in the northern Midwest of the United States, I've noticed over the last 30 days of Taurus season an incredible amount of growth in the natural world. All the fuzzy little buds that were just starting to pop out on branches at the beginning of Taurus season have now exploded into millions of leaves. They're all kinds of greens and yellows, the colors of Gemini. They're overlapping with one another. They're kind of tessellating and multiplying. There are so many flowers. There's pollen floating through the air. There is so much to bring my attention to. And the transition space that we're in right now in this location is the transition from spring into summer. The days are becoming remarkably longer. The air is becoming remarkably warmer. And there's so much life expressing itself. The opposite time of this year, here again in the Northern Hemisphere, is the season of Sagittarius, which is the end of autumn, beginning of winter. And at that time of year, everything is starting to take flight into seed. And we have um, the culmination of Scorpio season, which is a, a time of year when a lot of things are dying and preserving themselves. Um, stalks and flowers are drying up and becoming seed 
preservation of its life force. And those seeds are scattering into the winds. And so we have this kind of image or symbol of uh, taking flight and hope for the new life that's going to spring up when it gets warm again. So before I go on explaining or describing Gemini and Sagittarius from my perspective, I'd love to just offer the invitation to you to think about the place that you're in. And as I mentioned, this language of tropical astrology, as I've learned it, has been cultivated and developed through a very Western Eurocentric um, viewpoint and definitely a northern hemisphere perspective and I know that there are people listening from all over the place and I'd love to invite the idea that symbols are open for interpretation and they are what we make of them. So how do you feel this season that we might call Gemini season? What do you notice nature doing around you? How does the air feel? What are plants doing? What are animals doing? What do you feel in your body as we move into this new season or definition of a 30-day span of time? I really like to think about how the zodiac symbols correspond with the natural world. And for me, this naturally flows into thinking about behavior and instinct. So as it's getting warmer and as there's so much more life kind of moving around in the outdoors, I'm noticing that people also are getting busier. And of course, it's a really weird year. We're in pandemic and um, people are still maintaining a lot of physical distance, but everybody's outside. They are working outside. They want to be talking to their neighbors. I see people, you know, maintaining the physical distance, but still engaging a lot more with each other than they were even a couple of weeks ago. If there wasn't the situation of quarantine, I know that this season is typically a really busy season when a lot of people are leaving their homes, they're really excited to get out, they're really excited to play. And of course, for a lot of us, uh, Gemini season marks the beginning of pride season. And so there's partying, there's socializing, there's seeing friends maybe we haven't seen for a long time, there's exuberance, there's socializing, etc. So again, notice what you notice. What is the season mean for you. In embodied astrology or uh, medical astrology, Gemini and Sagittarius rule the places in the body where our central axis um, articulates into our limbs. So I'll talk more in a little bit about Gemini's correspondence to the lungs, but Gemini is also um, in rulership with the collarbones, the shoulders, the arms, and the hands. And the collarbones and the shoulders uh, fix the arms to the body. And of course, our arms are appendages, they're limbs, and they're incredibly useful limbs. Um, we use them for a lot of things, giving and receiving all kinds of things, articulating our movements, and sometimes supporting ourselves in movement, whether we're moving on all fours or balancing or rock climbing or climbing up a ladder or something like that. Sagittarius rules the hip joints and the thighs. And so again, we have a place in the body where an intersection is occurring and a relationship between the central or the axial body is meeting the appendicular body or the limbs. These places in our body allow movement. They allow variability and options. And that's a big part of what their energies present us with and represent. 
But as we explored in the meditation, there's also a coming into the center that awareness of the left and the right or any opposing sides will allow for. So I'm curious right now about how these mutable signs that allow us to go in different directions, in many directions, to be mobile, to be changeable, to be mutable, also inform our central axis. They also help us to maintain verticality. They help us to maintain uprightness. They help us to move through the world in reciprocity and relationship. So for a moment, maybe just check in with your arms and check in with your legs and give them a little bit of appreciation. And especially the uh, arms and the hands being Gemini season that we're moving into um, maybe deserve a little bit of, of love and attention. Our hands do so much for us. And of course, they're incredibly dexterous and nimble. And we have as many nerve endings in our hands as we do in our genitals. That's what I've heard. And these are the most enervated parts of the body. They're the most sensitive parts of the body. So a lot of awareness through the fingertips and through the hands allows us to be sensitive to our environments, to be curious about what we're touching and responsive and perceptive through our touch. I heard the other day about uh, senses of perception that are being quote unquote discovered and named. Um, science has uh, named or um, validated a lot of other senses of perception beyond the usual five senses that were taught in school. So along with um, taste, touch, sight, smell, and hearing, um, we also have our sense of uh, movement, so our proprioception, or our sense of balance in our vestibular function. And I was uh, hearing about a, um, a sense that I can't remember now, but the, um, the article that I was reading was describing a person who is able to, uh, while blindfolded, put their hand over a sheet of colored paper and sense what color it was. Pretty amazing to think that our skin has sensory awareness that can pick up color that can pick up uh, vibration, that can pick up mood. So pretty cool and something to appreciate in our own bodies and maybe something to start to attune to. As I move through uh, what I want to talk about in this podcast, I'll be talking more about developing intuition. And as we work to open and expand our perception and awareness, it can be really helpful to think about all parts of our bodies and all parts of our being having intelligence. And there's so much intelligence in our hands, so much intelligence in our arms. Let's give thanks for these amazing structures that bring us into relationship with our winged family, our avian family, and we might imagine how they can fly as we breathe in and spread out our arms. So this idea of breath is also very much a Gemini idea. As I've worked through the last couple of months of embodied astrology, I've been thinking about the embodied symbology of the zodiac signs, especially as they relate to the formation of what we call and understand as our bodies. 
Aries, uh, a couple of months ago, we talked about the ego, the formation of self, and we might think of the self as a kind of spark, a spirit or a soul that decides to be. This kind of, um, we might call it a decision, who knows, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but some kind of spark of life that is necessary in order to exist. And that spark of life gathers a body around itself. Our bodies are formed um, and house our sentience. And Taurus is a sign that describes this gathering of a body and building of materiality. But the body and the spirit need breath in order to exist. And so the inhalation brings life into the form it animates it, and the exhalation brings us into relationship. To breathe on this planet is to be in relationship with all other beings, plants, animals, humans, rocks, minerals. On some level, everything is breathing. There is some kind of molecular metabolic exchange, gases and elements that are making up this particulate um, material reality that we live in. And our bodies need air to exist. And we don't have breath if everything else doesn't exist with us. So Gemini is definitely a sign that speaks to interrelationship and to the ways that we are here in community with one another and that because of community, we exist. So this inhale and this exhale is a symbol of the exchange that we are part of as living, breathing beings. Now, of course, breath fills our bodies with life and to be living is to be in motion on some level. We have the motion of our growth as we develop from um, seed form into uh, embryonic and fetal form into birthed body. We grow into our adult shapes. We're in motion throughout our lives in insignificant ways and significant ways every minute, every day. And then we have the motion that's more ideological, like what are we here for? What's our purpose? What are are we doing? And this very much describes the relationship between Gemini and Sagittarius. The idea of what we're here for and what we're doing is so um, influenced and shaped by the communities that we find ourselves in and by our early development as beings. How we're raised, the kinds of conversations that are happening around us, the examples that we get from our parents, our family, our siblings, our neighbors, have everything to do with what we come to expect as normal and how we develop our expectations, our assumptions, our behaviors, and our decisions as we move through our lives. This is the Gemini quality. So when you learn and read about Gemini, you might learn and read about early childhood development and the cognitive development, the way that our brains are formed. And our brains are formed through a combination of genetic code uh, interrelating with environmental factors. 
And in that interrelationship, we form synapses, we form neural pathways. So we get examples and we are challenged by our environment. And as we mimic examples and learn to move our bodies and learn to articulate and gesticulate, we come to know ourselves. And of course, we know ourselves in relationship. We learn to talk about um, I, me, my experience. We learn to ask for what we need. We see through example how we're expected to behave, especially if we want reward, especially if we want attention or validation. And so in our first years, in our early development, we learn so much that will continue throughout our lives to inform the decisions and the choices and the actions and behaviors that we enact. Now, these early ideas, assumptions, and patterns lead us to perspective, lead us to thinking certain things about the world and our potential in it. And at some point, we get to a place where we're old enough or where we're provoked in certain ways or exposed to certain things that we start to think outside of the context of what's normal and outside of the context of what's been entrained. We look for other alternatives. We look for bigger answers. We go off and we seek some kind of uh, deeper education in something, or we ask why? Well, why are you doing things like that? Why am I like this? Why couldn't I be like that? So these questions and desires to grow and expand our sphere of awareness and deepen our perception or to make meaning for ourselves is uh, a lot of what we might think of as Sagittarius's symbol. When I think of the polarity between Gemini and Sagittarius, I often think of the axis of learning and the way that we learn through no choice of our own. We learn through immediate environment, what we're exposed to and what's quote unquote normal or natural about our early environments. And then from there, we get to make choices. We get to look elsewhere. And often we're exposed to some other kinds of ideas, whether it's through the news or a book we read or a movie that we watch or someone that we meet, a teacher that we have in school. We might get ideas about what something could be like that then sends us on a quest to investigate this other option. This desire to learn and to grow is very much uh, what the Gemini Sagittarius polarity shows us and teaches us. And as I mentioned, um, in Gemini season, eclipses will begin in this axis. And the North Node is moving into Gemini, which means that the South Node is moving into Sagittarius. The symbolism of the North and the South Nodes in astrology is a symbolism of karma. The idea of karma, as I understand it, is cause and effect magnified over thousands of years and centuries and through generations. We, of course, are living in the momentum of the past. The societies that we find ourselves in have been built by all of the people who've come before, and we're so influenced uh, by them and the context that we're given as uh, children and when we form our early pathways and cognitive processes weren't made by us, right? We came into them. 
And from these places, we have to reach out. We have to ask other questions. We have to see where we can go or how we can grow. So when the North Node is in Gemini, we have a symbol of movement into the Gemini sphere. The North Node is expressing the way that karma wants to travel. What's next? What's new? What do we need to understand now? And when the South Node is in Sagittarius, we have a symbol of what is underlying this moment. What are we coming from? What's influencing us? What happened in the past that has brought us here to this moment? And also, what are we ready to release? What's no longer useful? Some of the themes for these eclipses that I've been thinking of have to do with letting go of belief systems and ideas that are no longer uh, useful for our evolutionary development. Sagittarius as a sign that represents the ways that we make meaning for ourselves and the quests that we go on to grow our awareness and expand our consciousness is often related to religion, academia, uh, broadcasting and publishing, teachers, mentors, and other kinds of spaces or figures that might have knowledge or wisdom of some kind. One of the things that Sagittarius represents are judges in the high court. So when we think of this as a place that is underlying our current development, but is also showing us something that is ready to be let go of or released, what I'm thinking of uh, especially is the context of religious entrainment that has built the foundation of many, uh, if not most, of our contemporary societies. I'm also thinking about the academy, these institutions of knowledge that have grown up um, really promoting certain kinds of knowledge, certain means of learning, and the knowledge that has been developed and cultivated by specific and certain people. And mostly these people are um, white men who are largely Christian and largely upper class and had access to the institutions that I'm speaking of um, and were really their founders and their builders. When we think about what we know, what we believe in, and what has been given to us as a context for meaning making, this is the place where we really want to get curious. Is this knowledge still knowledge that we want to root into? Is it knowledge that we still believe in? As the eclipses move into Gemini and Sagittarius, we're supported to question what we know. And questioning what we know is a theme right now, definitely in this era of fake news and misinformation. And there's a lot of confusion that's happening for a lot of us about what the fuck is going on. As the eclipses move into Gemini and Sagittarius, they will be forming squares to Neptune and Pisces. If you listen back to the Pisces season podcast, I talked a lot about um, this kind of age of confusion and mass delusion, a forgetting of our essential quality as intuitive, spiritual, sacred beings in union with the world around us, and a delusional state that we get into thinking that we're separate from anything and identifying with materiality. As the eclipses move into Gemini and Sagittarius, this square to Neptune and Pisces is pushing forward a sensation of confusion and questioning reality. 
I heard a very wise teacher once say that there is immense value in feeling lost. And when we feel confused, it's actually an opportunity to slow down, to get out of our habitual state, to pay attention, to be present. The value in feeling lost is the value of not having a plan and not thinking that we know. This to me is one of the biggest messages coming in about the eclipse season that we're moving into and some of the other symbolism that comes through in Gemini season. Thinking that we know or thinking that we should know and thinking that we should have the right answer or that there even is a right answer is really part of this mm, methodology around meaning making and knowledge and wisdom that has been built into institutional form that's a very one-sided, very particular form that really doesn't encompass the vast, diverse amount of wisdom and knowing that there is in the world and the many different means of meaning making that there have been, are, and will be. Thinking that we have to know and thinking that we have to have a plan or a right answer or that there is a right answer is one of the ways that the white supremacist, patriarchal, heteronormative system works through us. It works to deaden our creativity. It works to take us away from our intuition. I think that a lot of what's being shown to us right now is that we have to be intuitive. There's no way that we can know what's going to happen at this time of mounting systemic collapse and environmental chaos that is only being aggravated and expanded through the pandemic that we're experiencing now. There is an overwhelming amount of potential, all of the things that we don't know there is an overwhelming amount of unknown all around us. Not just the unknown of what will happen, but the unknown of what has happened, and also the unknown of what is right now. And part of the problem of thinking that we need to know is that we actually miss most of the knowing that's available. When we think we need to know we're in a mental space, we're telling ourselves stories, we're stuck in a very narrow, limited perspective of the possibilities of what we could know, which if you consider a single person's lifetime and realm of experience, even if they're very wise and they've been exposed to a lot of teachings, is still incredibly limited. So to allow ourselves to be in a space of unknown and not knowing and questioning is the idea of moving towards the evolutionary potential that Gemini suggests. Gemini is a curious sign. It speaks to the development of neural pathways, the way that synapses form and fire. The moment where we go, oh, that's a possibility. Not that's right, or that's the thing that I should do, but oh, I could do that. Gemini is often uh, spoken about as a symbol of twins or siblings or neighbors and friends. When we think about these kinds of social relationships and communions, we might think about mimicry, or we might think about looking over the fence and what's the neighbor doing, or noticing your sibling and hey, what do they have? Or someone bringing their hand up to their mouth and going, ps, 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 ps. hey, what are you doing over there? 
This kind of communication and learning that is passed through example, that's passed through entrainment, curiosity, and mimicry is what Gemini represents. As the North Node moves into Gemini and as we start to move into these eclipses, I'm guessing that there will be a lot of reasons for us to question what we think is true, to question the nature of reality even more than we're questioning it now, and a lot of provocation for us to question what we know or what we think we know, and to start to move our attention into alternatives to start to look in directions that maybe we're not used to looking, to asking questions that we're not used to asking. My hope for Gemini season is that it opens this portal a little bit to instigate a deeper curiosity and a more playful sense of unknowing. We don't know. We have no way of knowing. So our only option is really to be curious, to learn, to converse, to ask questions, and to be present, as present as we possibly can. So let's look at some of the planetary movements uh, beyond the eclipses that's happening in Gemini this season. The sun moves into Gemini on May 21st, and on May 22nd, which is a Friday, I believe, we have a new moon in Gemini. I want to bring attention into this new moon because it is a powerful new moon in the aspects that it's making. The sun and moon will both be in a trine with Saturn and Aquarius, and Saturn has just recently turned retrograde. It turned retrograde um, about 10 days before Gemini season began on May 11th. Saturn ingressed Aquarius in March. It only made it to one degree of Aquarius before it turned retrograde. And it is now going to be traveling backwards into Capricorn, which will enter uh, or re-enter in July. And it will be turning direct at 25 degrees of Capricorn um, late in September of this year. On the new moon though, The aspect that the sun and moon are making to Saturn in the first degree of Aquarius suggests a dawning of a new idea. Saturn is a form that invites structure and restructure. It invites a a rethinking and a reformulation of how something could be with the intention of making something stronger. Often we need to reinforce strength because we recognize that there's a weakness. And we recognize that there's weakness because we face challenge or we feel resistance or we're struggling. Saturn in Aquarius is showing us the weaknesses within our social systems, the weaknesses in medical systems that are dependent upon private insurance, the weaknesses in economies that are promoting individual wealth while forgetting the absolute necessity of the laborers who created the bulk of the wealth. In both the Aries season and the Taurus season podcasts, I talked about Saturn's transit through Aquarius over the course of the next couple of years. So for more information on that transit, please listen back to those episodes. In brief, I want to mention that Saturn's movement through Aquarius, as I see it, is the potential for a very profound societal restructuring and shift. 
Now this restructuring and shift is going to be chaotic. It already is. We see that it's happening. There is deep unrest in the people, especially in countries where the governments are not taking care of the people. There are deep systemic inequalities and imbalances that are certainly not up to the task of our ongoing survival if we're going to survive. So there has to be some kind of restructuring. There has to be a redefining of power and accountability. And I think that there's a very good potential that that will be happening even more than it currently is over the next uh, couple of years. And as Gemini season begins, this is a strong symbol of people coming together, sharing information, recognizing that what they maybe used to think was true is no longer accurate. So I've talked to a lot of people who used to have a lot more faith in the government or in the economic markets or in their job or in their religion. And over the past couple of years and definitely over the past couple of months, they're really starting to question what they used to think was true. As I talked about before, a lot of us are questioning what is true because there's so much misinformation in the media, there's so much propaganda, it's really hard to trust uh, what we hear through these channels. So we need to get verification, we need to talk to each other, we need to reach out and spread information through reliable sources, which are often... Um, direct conversations. So when we have a new moon, we have a symbol of a new beginning. The sun and the moon coming together present an opportunity to start anew, to plant a seed of intention. The aspect that they make to Saturn suggests a new beginning in a community sense, in a societal sense, in an informational sense, and in a system sense. We want to restructure a lot. But during Gemini season, there's also a lot of retrogrades. Saturn is not the only planet that is retrograde. Pluto and Jupiter are retrograde as well, also in Capricorn. And over the course of Saturn's retrograde, all three of these planets will be working together in the late degrees of Capricorn. And again, to reference to a previous podcast in the Capricorn season podcast, I talked a lot about these three planets in Capricorn and the symbolism that they offer for a death within the governing structures of our societies and, of course, the transformational process that will allow the restructuring. These retrogrades are bringing us all the way into October. So my sense as I consider this astrology is that the next number of months are just going to get weirder and weirder. Um, we can see in the U.S. that there is an idea that we're going to reopen the economy and people are going to return to work, um, but there are absolutely no precautions being taken when it comes to a second wave of the coronavirus and uh, a lot of kind of flailing power and misguided direction that we're seeing that is putting economic intent over the actual human resource and labor that it takes to drive an economy. So we'll probably see, and no one needs astrology for this, we just need to pay attention, but we'll probably see continued tumult and chaos. But at the same time, we see people organizing, we see other solutions presenting themselves, we see massive mutual aid movements that are quite successful supporting the folks who are not getting the governmental support that they need. 
And so when I see this aspect of the new moon and trying to Saturn in Aquarius at the same time as all this retrograde is happening, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking is that as this collapse and death and total fucking shit show of the government and kind of the world structures are falling down around us, there are also new structures that are coming forwards. And these new structures are being carried forwards by our connections with one another, by our instincts and interests in engaging with one another to share information, to share resource, and to envision new ways of collecting our needs and creating structures that serve everybody. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to Embodied Astrology. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I wanted to let you know about some opportunities to get more astrology in your life. I'd love to invite you to work with me every two weeks to attune to the moon. This year I'm offering new moon and full moon online lunar attunement rituals that are creative, embodied, experiential pathways into exploring and learning about astrology. Join me for the Gemini New Moon Ritual on May 22nd at 12 p.m. Pacific Time and for the Full Moon Ritual on June 7th, also at 12 p.m. Pacific. This month, I'll be offering practices for cultivating intuition and accessing spiritual guidance. Find more information at embodiedastrology.com in the live events section. Also, did you know about my special guest episodes? The most recent guest episode is an amazing conversation with Edgar Fabian Frias and Aaron Aquarian on the intersections of art, ritual, and magic that I loved so much, and I hope that you will love it too. Find that episode as well as conversations with other awesome guests, including healers, teachers, and artists at embodiedastrology.com in the listen section. This need to create structures that serve everyone, as many as possible, and to connect through networks of care is represented by Venus in Gemini as Gemini season begins. Venus, as you may know, is retrograde when Gemini season begins. It turned retrograde on the 12th of May and will remain retrograde until June 25th. Venus is the planet least often retrograde in our solar system, and Venus's retrograde is an incredible opportunity to purify our hearts, to clarify our relationships. Venus is considered the planet of love and money. It brings sweetness into our lives. As a ruler of Taurus and Libra, it speaks to the sensory need for comfort, for satisfaction, for beauty, for pleasure, for sensuality. It also speaks to our need to be in relationship and to be in harmonious relationship. When we're getting along with each other, life usually feels better. We have more energy. We have more resource. We can do more with our lives than if we're in states of conflict or strife. Venus retrograde in Gemini suggests that the need to reflect upon our relationships, our values, and our pleasures is really a mental practice. So again, Gemini is a sign that speaks to the mental process of learning, of thinking, of speaking, communicating, gesticulating, sharing information, how our minds work and what our minds do with the information that we perceive. 
When Venus is in Gemini, we're asked to bring our awareness into our hearts. We're asked to consider the ways that we think and talk about pleasures, beauty, and of course, relationships. In esoteric astrology, Venus is considered to be the soul-centered ruler of Gemini. The exoteric, or the mundane ruler of Gemini, is Mercury, and Mercury is a symbol that is often associated with many of the same things or similar things that Gemini is. Where Mercury shows up, we are thinking, we are talking, we're sharing information, we're communicating, and we're making exchanges. The mercurial function of Gemini is this. It has to do with language and with articulation. And language, as useful as it is, and as much as it can help us to know ourselves, is also a separating function. Venus is a combining function. It's a unifying function. When Venus is understood as the ruler of Gemini, we understand that the mind is supported by the heart. When we're moving through our lives with only mental awareness, we're categorizing, we're classifying, we're comparing, we're chattering to ourselves, we're lost in our stories, we're distracted. When we're moving through our lives with attention resonating in our hearts, we're responding from an authentic space. We are in right relationship. We're acting in ways that we feel feel like we can trust. If we're acting from our hearts, we're not likely to mislead another person or be an asshole about something. Acting from our hearts doesn't mean we're always nice or super sweet. Um, being in our hearts can mean setting a really clear boundary. It can definitely mean getting angry about something that's worth getting angry about. But in that anger, we're not looking to separate. We're not looking to compete or deny. We're asking for greater recognition of connection. So when Venus is in Gemini, we understand the heart-centered function of the mind, the potential of the heart-centered function of the mind. This, I think, is really the, the essence of any yoga practice or meditation practice, is to understand how our minds can lead us so far away from our hearts. And so many of us, definitely myself included, have experienced this in our lives, where we move through our lives with ideas about how we should be and what's cool and what we should do and this is how you should talk to someone and this is the priority that you should have. And we're in our minds trying to survive and we're in our minds trying to strategize. When we're in our hearts, it's a very different experience. Sometimes there's a pause or more vulnerability Sometimes there's a lot more awkwardness. But being in our hearts allows for an energetic resonance that being in our minds generally doesn't. At the beginning of Gemini season, Mercury and Venus are almost conjunct, and they perfect their conjunction the next day again on the new moon. This conjunction, this coming together of Mercury and Venus, solidifies this symbol for me, that Gemini season is a portal. It's an entry. And for those of us who are listening, it is very much an opportunity to unite our mental and our heart functions. When we can use our minds to listen to our hearts, our minds become so strong. 
when we can move through the mental chatter and recognize where our attention is traveling and develop the skills to bring our attention back into the center of our hearts, then we are so much less susceptible to misinformation, to marketing, to manipulation. When we can do that work, we're also so much more open to our intuition and again to making choices that we believe in, that we feel are trustworthy. So that allows us to trust others. Venus and Mercury are also very close to the asteroid Vesta at the time of Gemini season's commencement. I've talked about Vesta in some podcasts, certainly in Virgo season. I often um, notice her placement and talk about how I associate her meaning. I think of Vesta as a devotional force, as the, the flame of the sacred spirit and the attendance that we have to give to that flame. This object to me signifies devotion and it also signifies discipleship. When we put ourselves into a practice of reverence and honoring whatever we know as divine, whatever we know as sacred. Discipleship takes discipline and discipline is part of what Gemini season asks from us. Gemini can be a very distracted, distractible energy. Again, representing the mind and representing the way that the mind travels and tracks and compares information, Gemini speaks to the nature of mind to jump from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to compare and contrast. And in that comparison, we often find ourselves in spaces of judgment. We're judging ourselves. We're bickering internally. We're judging someone else. We're telling ourselves stories about who's superior and who's not. If we think about the symbolism of the twins with Gemini and we think about one twin pulling that way and one twin pulling this way and one twin being the one that everybody thinks is so sweet and good and one twin being the troublemaker, we might think about the different aspects of ourselves, the ways that we split internally, that we start to perform what we think that somebody wants or needs while meanwhile inside we're having a completely different experience. How we split from ourselves and we do the things that we think that we ought to do while meanwhile we're longing to be somewhere and do something else. Gemini always wants variety. It always wants options. And if we're not conscious of how it's working, it will always compare options. It's always going to be telling us that something is better. Comparison, comparison, contrast, contrast. So the presence of Vesta here to me says we have to attend the sacred flame and a flame is central. This centrality, the idea of coming back into the middle is the way that we honor the life force. Otherwise we get dispersed, otherwise we're distracted and everywhere. To be a disciple means that we have to show up every day in our discipline and in our practice. Vesta is associated to priestesses and to the energy of those who attend to the sacred flame. 
showing up every single day to practice noticing what our minds are doing is not easy. And anybody who's ever tried to have a meditation practice knows this. How many times have I sat down to meditate and spent the entire amount of time thinking when I'm not supposed to be thinking and noticing when I'm not supposed to be noticing and not getting the point that all I should be doing is watching my thoughts, just feeling how discombobulated and distracted and all over the place they are. When we show up for meditation, we show up to practice noticing what the mind is doing and to practice coming back into present moment awareness. That's it. There's a lot of idea that we might practice meditating and get to some place of peace. I think that's happened to me a handful of times. Like I said, most of the time I'm just there in the mess of my own thoughts. But the more time I give it, the more I make myself a disciple of this practice and work with my own discipline, the better I get at noticing what my mind is doing. That doesn't necessarily mean stopping it. I still hear the same stories. I'm still making the same judgments and going on the same ramblings. But less and less am I convinced that those ramblings or judgments are real. And more and more, I'm able to maintain some kind of other awareness simultaneously, able to sense into my body and notice what is happening in my body in response to all these thoughts. When I have a judgment and when I'm in a place of comparison, I notice that there's a kind of shrinking feeling, that there is a hardening in my heart. When I'm off in a plan about the thing that I should do and feeling urgent because I haven't started yet, I go up into my head. I feel my breath get more shallow. When I'm obsessed about that person and what they said, I stop breathing almost entirely. I feel crammed over into my left eyeball. So this practice of noticing what we're noticing, noticing what the mind does with sensation, is part of how we might want to work with the energy of Gemini and how we might want to offer discipline in this season to come into the nature of the heart and link the heart with the mind. When I began, I was talking about the eclipses and the nodal axis squaring Neptune and Pisces over the course of the next year and a half. In Gemini season, Venus is square to Neptune in Pisces uh, for a good duration of it. Now, Venus has been square with Neptune uh, for a while now. Because Venus is in retrograde, it means that it is recovering or returning to territory that it has already passed. Venus formed its first square with Neptune on May 3rd and 4th. Venus will form its second square with Neptune uh, the day that Gemini season begins on May 21st, and the third and final square will be July 27th. So when Venus is retrograde, it includes what's called a shadow period, and all of the planetary retrogrades include this time. Basically, the idea is that Venus traveled direct to a certain place where then it stationed retrograde, and then it returned uh, or appeared to travel backwards to a particular point in the sky where it will station direct. 
So that span of space, that period of time when Venus is retracing its steps is considered to be the retrograde, but the period of time before and after when Venus or whatever planet we're thinking about is direct is considered to be the shadow. And in that shadow, we're either getting uh, the first glimpse into the themes of the retrograde, we're passing over territory that will then need to be returned to, or we are in a state of resolution. After Venus has turned direct, we are in a kind of finishing or a completion phase. A lot of astrologers will say that Venus retrogrades bring relationships to the table. This is a time when we need to work stuff out with people. I've definitely noticed that this is true, and I've also noticed that Venus helps us understand how and who we want to be in our social lives in general, who we're thinking about um, fitting in with, connecting with, how we're thinking about wanting to express ourselves in the social realm. Venus, of course, is also a symbol of money and values, what we think is important. And in its associations, again, to the signs Taurus and Libra, it teaches us a lot about the material objects that we might desire or the relational objects that we might desire. It teaches us where we are attracted, to what, to whom, what we think is necessary, what our values are. And when Venus is retrograde, we have a chance to reflect upon these ideas. We're asked to go into a deeper layer of awareness about how we're behaving in relationships, what our values are in those spaces, what our values are when it comes to money, when it comes to materiality, when it comes to the objective world and realm. When Venus is retrograde in relationship to Neptune in a square aspect, we definitely might have some confusion about what is valuable and what is important or what the hell is going on in our relationships. This square aspect between Venus and Neptune also describes an intense and unsatisfiable longing. It's kind of a longing for the sublime or longing for the exquisite. We might long for some kind of answer, for some kind of solution to come out of the blue. We might long for salvation. We might long for a state of perfection. And we could feel this longing welling up inside of us as deep despondency, deep depression, a feeling that, oh my God, that's the thing I'll never have. Whether it's a relationship or a state or quality of life or a state or quality in the world. This aspect can definitely stimulate and activate the parts of ourselves that are deep in longing. This aspect also can really present a fair amount of confusion or illusion, and the potential of it is that it creates states for disillusion. I'm curious about this word disillusion because it's often used in a negative way, but to me it seems like it must be a positive thing. If we're in a state of illusion, we're not really seeing things for the reality that they are. And so disillusion, while it might feel like a bummer, is actually helpful, perhaps, that we can see that things are not really as they are. 
As Venus is squared to Neptune, it may be that we have these kinds of experiences, that we feel confused about what's real, that we may have a, a kind of sense that what we've been basing values on or building relationships upon no longer have substance to them. They no longer hold the weight that they used to. So we might be questioning now, what is real? What can I depend upon? But again, in that questioning, there's immense value. There's a lot to uh, offer in the space of not knowing and in the space of questioning. I get a feeling, though, that this could be a hard transit for many people, especially when it comes to love and money. And I want to offer again that when we can bring the mind into the heart, we are more likely to make better choices for ourselves. One of the things that Venus square Neptune can definitely imply is a fixation on satiation. And especially when Mercury is square to Neptune, as it is um, when Gemini season begins, we can have a, a lot of tendencies towards distraction or numbing ourselves. So things to look out for this month are your methods of numbing. Now, there is so much overwhelm in the world, and I'm certainly a fan of having a drink if you need to have a drink, or spacing out with a movie if you need to space out. But also watch your consumption. Notice how you might reach for escape in a moment when you could actually travel more deeply inwards and probably get a lot more satisfaction and a lot more relief or release. Neptune in Pisces, as I talked about in the Pisces season episode, has so much it wants to offer us about emotional release, so much it wants to teach us. Part of the reason we are so overwhelmed is that there's so much to feel. There's so much tragedy. There's so much suffering. There's so much to be scared of. There's also so much fear about feeling. And part of this conditioned state that we live in, in thinking that we need to know and thinking that we have to have the right answer, is also thinking that we're not allowed to feel terrified. We're not allowed to feel confused and totally, utterly lost. So many of us have so many feelings right now that really need an outlet. And if we're not able to give those feelings an actual outlet that actually lets them resolve, like crying or shaking or talking to a friend, then we're very likely to reach for some kind of numbing agent, whether that's TV or scrolling on the phone or drugs or alcohol or shopping or making ourselves really busy or getting hooked on anger or whatever it is. We all have our strategies. We all have the ways that we have learned to avoid the incredibly vulnerable state of not knowing and feeling afraid. So when I see this square aspect presenting right at the beginning of Gemini season between Mercury, Venus, Vesta, and Neptune, and knowing that the eclipses are coming in over the next couple of years to trigger and stimulate the square over and over again, I'm thinking about the ways that we are building our emotional intelligence through sharing information. I'm thinking about all of the incredible social media feeds that I follow and that sometimes I scroll mindlessly through, but that are giving me such great reminders to stop, to take rest, to feel my feelings, to trust my intuition. 
I'm thinking about the ways that we can use networks and communication to help one another trust that we don't need to know. I'm so inspired by the communities that I'm a part of that spread this kind of message right now. I feel really uplifted by you and you know who you are and I'm talking to you, you know it. Um, thank you for your messages that it's okay to not know and it's okay to have feelings and it's okay to stay in bed all day. There's a lot of folks who are out there, maybe not in the traditional uh, or popular media streams, but who definitely have large platforms who are giving information that it is now time to not know. It is now time to go inside, to listen, to take rest, to feel, to let go of needing to have the answer and needing to have the right answer. In Gemini season, I believe that this is our practice. I think that we have to give ourselves um, a mental release of some kind. All of this retrograde, all of this stimulation is asking us to pause, to allow the overwhelm of mental information and all of the emotions that have piled up and this psychic clog and fog that's around us it needs to settle, it needs to release, it needs to have some kind of actual outlet. We can give ourselves that outlet by pausing, by breathing, by feeling. Just pausing and breathing and feeling can be enough to start to let some of those emotions travel, to start to get in touch with our sense of inner knowing. And ultimately, what this square suggests to me is that we have to open to our intuition and that there is actually a wealth, an abundance of support available for us right now. I personally feel that support a lot. I feel it in my life and I feel it through my networks. The support feels like increasing awareness that I can hear guidance. I hear it through my heart. I hear it in my dreams. I hear it in the messages that I am somehow aware of just at the right moment. Turning on the radio, tuning the dial, suddenly I hear a song that calls uh, someone to mind that helps me feel loved. It happened the other day that I was taking a walk and it felt like an invisible hand just turned my face and I looked and I saw a sign that had a message for me. Now, obviously that message wasn't put there maybe specifically for me, but in that moment, it felt like it was for me. And these signs, these symbolisms, I think that they happen for a lot of us. And this world that we live in, that we think of as reality, the objective phenomenal world where everything is born and everything is going to die, is only a, a small slice of reality. There's the truth that we know underneath this that time is cyclical and spiralic and everything that we perceive as true is actually an evolving phenomena that will continue to take new and different shapes for a very long time that has been in evolution since before we ever existed. There's also the realms that we can't see. There are the realms of uh, invisible forces, however we want to think of them, whether we think of that as a collective psychology and emotional sentiment that pervades the space between us, or whether we think of these invisible realms as angelic realms or spiritual realms or the realms of the ancestors or the dead. In these spaces, we can look for symbols, we can learn to listen. 
And when I feel into the highest potential of what the symbolism of Gemini season is offering, it's that when we get beyond and underneath and around the kind of constant ceaseless chatter of the mind, and when we still our minds and ask them to come inwards away from so much external stimulation and uh, catching on to different pieces of information, trying to collect and accumulate them all, when we allow ourselves to really come into a central space, to feel our feelings, to connect with our heart, there is so much clarity that's there. We actually know what we need to do. We know how to treat one another. We know how to take care of each other. If we pause long enough to listen, we know how to clean up our environment. We know how to take care of people who are ill. We know how to build systems that are sustainable. The reason that we can't access this knowledge is because people are fighting and in conflict. And that conflict has to do with attachment to the material realm. Whose property is whose? Who's the winner? Who's better? This reinvestigation of value that I'm talking about with Venus retrograde is a need to look at our fixation on materiality. Money is nothing that we can eat, and we certainly aren't going to bring it with us when we die. What can we eat? Food, of course. What do we need to grow food? Everything that we already have. We have land, we have sun, we have water, we have air, and we have each other. There's more than enough resource to take care of all of the people on the planet right now. And as much as we might hear people talking about the planet being overpopulated and this being some kind of cleansing and this pandemic and a necessity to simplify, da 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 da, I don't actually think that that's accurate. We've gotten here, of course, through a chain of events that many happen to be unfortunate, choices that probably could have been made so much better. But here we are, and we have enough. We have absolutely enough to take care of everybody alive. We have absolutely enough to take care of the animals that are still alive. But if we don't stop, if we don't start to listen, to slow down, to pay attention to what is truly valuable and to what we already know, we will continue to destroy each other. Species will continue to die. And we really don't have very long until we will go extinct. As we move into Gemini season, I believe a lot of us are on the same page. Everything that I just said is probably everything that you've already been thinking and you already know. This is information that we share with one another. We are on the same wavelength for whatever reasons and whatever ways how we're connecting with each other is bringing these conversations forward into the surface. So at this moment of mutability and changeability, as so many different pieces are falling out of place in our societies and falling into new places, as economies are crumbling and shifting, as systems are being exposed for the exploitative extraction systems that they are, let's uplift these conversations about unknowing and questions and possibility. Let's create spaces where we can gather and listen and feel with one another. And let's honor what's already happening. 
So my call to you, to anyone who's listening over the course of Gemini season, is to really take on the symbol of Venus in Gemini that for me speaks to the movement of mutual aid. Gemini, as a sign of exchange and small pieces of information, rules the markets. It rules trade and commerce and exchanging of resources and information. Venus rules resource, it rules wealth, it also rules love and relationship. One of the most incredible things that I've been witnessing in these last couple of months are the mutual aid efforts. Mutual aid is not new. For a very long time, communities who are the most marginalized have come up with ingenious, absolutely creative ways of sharing resources and distributing those resources to those in need. At this time, we have so much to learn from those communities who have already developed very efficient, effective systems of community care. Mutual aid is one of those. You might have five, ten, fifteen dollars that you could spare. It might not feel like anything. It might not feel like enough. But if you combine that with five, ten, or fifteen dollars from ten of your closest friends, then you have a chunk of something. You have someone's groceries for a week. You have access to medical care for at least one or two visits. When we combine our resources, we have enough. When we work with one another, we have enough. When we share resources, we have enough. The symbols presented in Gemini season remind us that personal property is a myth. The system of capitalism that has been built purely on extraction and exploitation is also a system that has created the myth of private property. The wealth and ownership that some people have access to has nothing to do with their actual capacity or intelligence. It has everything to do with the levels of access that they've been able to reach. This myth of individualism is a very attractive myth. It feeds the function of the ego. It feeds the idea that somehow we could be special, we could make it, we can beat all odds, we can be a hero, and we can be a winner. That myth, to me, is boring at this point, and I think it's really on its way out. Those who are really upholding this myth, the billionaires, the ones out there who are greedy, hoarding their resources, and not really doing much for our current predicament, are disgusting, in my opinion. As I look at people like Jeff Bezos or Donald Trump, I am disgusted. I am appalled. I think that this manifestation in humanity that puts personal profit and gain over the collective health and well-being is absolutely suicidal. And I know that I'm not alone in that. I know that so many of us share those sentiments and we want something different. And I know that we will change it and we'll change it from the inside. Gemini season gives us a symbol of this. It reminds us that when we work with one another, we have everything that we need. We have all the solutions right here. We can create our own systems. It's going to take work? Yes. It will take practice? Yes. It will take discipline? Absolutely. It'll be frustrating? Absolutely. We're going to have to learn to talk with each other in new ways, get along with each other, put aside our differences, and figure out all of the complicated mess of trauma and history. But I think that we have the tools, we have the language, and certainly we have the incentive. 
So as we move into Gemini season, please involve yourself with mutual aid or involve yourself with some kind of community support in any way that you possibly can. All of us have resources to give, and if you're a person who needs, then open your heart to receive. Allow these exchanges of giving and receiving to be healing. They're such a profound opportunity to reset some of the trauma patterns that are so deeply instilled in our societies around scarcity and survival. As I've been working through mutual aid efforts over the last couple of months, um, I've been organizing my twice-monthly lunar attunement workshops, my online rituals as fundraisers, and I've been absolutely amazed at how much money we've been able to raise. Now, I'm saying we because it's definitely a community effort. All of you who are attending these rituals are part of this practice. We're working together to cultivate and develop our awareness of astrology. We're working together to hold sacred space, to do process, to make magic. And in these small amounts of money, our $5, our $10, our $15, we've raised over $5,000 so far for communities that need it the most right now. I'm going to continue in this project throughout the year of 2020. Um, last month, both of the ritual proceeds went to Seeding Sovereignty's Indigenous Impact Relief Fund. And this month in Gemini season, 100% of the proceeds for the lunar attunements will be sent to the Queer Detainee Empowerment Project and Alotro Lado COVID-19 Humanitarian Migrant Fund. For me, it feels natural in my heart to reach out to communities that for whatever reason I feel either a kinship to or a responsibility towards and a desire to pay reparation, desire to be an ally, desire to be a friend. You might feel a very uh, strong call to work with a specific community or a specific project. You might feel a deep knowing that your work is with the environment. All of our callings are interweaving. We are all connected. When we work together, we support each other no matter where we put our efforts. The final um, little message that is coming to me through the chart of Gemini season is that as we dismantle this myth of individualism and separateness, part of what we're working with is to dismantle the idea that one person will have an answer. The overwhelm that I feel often when I look at the news and when I hear about all of the things that are going on is, oh my God, I can't do anything. It's too much. There's nothing I can do. And this feeling just totally makes me want to bury my head in the sand and go to sleep for forever. The truth is, is that there is nothing that any of us can do that's going to fix all of these problems. But if we all turn our attention towards helping one another, we'll fix all the problems and we'll fix them pretty quickly. So my invitation is to involve ourselves with some kind of community-supported action, to find creative, innovative ways to reach out and to share resources. And as we move through this month to notice what we're noticing, to notice what we're doing with sensation and with awareness and how our minds are traveling, interpreting the information that we pick up. As much as we can, as many times of day as we can, let's come back into our hearts. Let's touch into the feeling spaces. Let's let go of the need to know. 
Let's be in a question and let's be here together. In your horoscopes for this month, I'm trying to really offer this as an intention. All of the horoscopes include a little bit of a guided meditation and an emphasis on Venus's retrograde and the Gemini energy in the chart for your sign. For those of you who are interested in working with me throughout the month and in working with me on this project of mutual aid, my first lunar attunement is on the uh, Friday after Gemini season begins, May 22nd, with the waxing crescent moon. And the full moon attunement will take place on Friday, June 5th. Information and registration is on my website, embodiedastrology.com. And of course, the month ahead subscriber extended forecast is available for those of you who want to follow along with the day-by-day aspects and work with them through creative, embodied, practice-based suggestions that are in the month ahead calendar. The monthly subscriptions are available by donation at fully sliding scale. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope that you find something interesting in this podcast and find it helpful in some way. There's a lot that's going on in Gemini season, so stay up to date with me at Embodied Astrology on Instagram or Facebook and again through the subscriptions or the lunar attunements. I hope that this Gemini season clarifies your heart and helps you touch into your truth and open your intuition and connect deeply with love. Bye for now.